Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. I'm Elizabeth Taylor. And I'm Alex Shapiro. We are estheticians in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and we work with really incredible, diverse, ambitious, and driven women that are killing it in life. And they deserve to be celebrated. So on this podcast, we're going to be sharing their stories with you. Yeah, and then in between those interview episodes, we'll be doing segments where it's just the two of us, maybe some guest stars, and we'll be chatting about beauty, life, weird shit about being in your 30s, and just learning more about one another because that's what makes us more similar than different. Also, we're a lot of fun, and we We have a super multicultural community, and we kind of think that you might too, so why not talk all things beauty under one black and Jewish roof? Hell yes. (laughs) Um, Also, we'll be answering listener questions, so make sure to write to us at truebeautybrooklynpodcast at gmail.com. Alright guys, so let's jump into the show. Bye! Hi friends! Hi! Elizabeth here and Alex. Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. So we are so excited to share this week's interview with you because this week we're speaking to Assemblymember-elect for the 50th District of New York City, Emily Gallagher. I don't know. She's so fucking cool. (laughs) She's so fucking cool, dudes. I don't know if you heard that there's a pretty important election going on in this country this year. But aside from the national election, there's also a lot of local elections that are going on. And since we're all talking about the national election and it's really hard to figure out like which way it's going to go. And it's also really hard for us to control that election. We wanted to speak with somebody who really we can control the election of, but also works for us within our district, within our hyper local neighborhood. And we were so lucky because a friend, our friend that you guys met last time, Michelle Kaufman, for our last vote episode, introduced us to this most incredible woman that we spoke to today. One of the reasons that Emily is so incredible is because she had no endorsements from elected officials when she was running her campaign. She had no support from the two biggest leftist groups for the Democratic Socialists of New York. And she really had relatively little money compared to her opponent, who was a 47-year incumbent state assembly member. And he had not even faced a primary challenge for over a decade. Yeah, and his dad and his grandfather both held the same seat. Yeah, kind of crazy. Yes, so it's been... it's like a very, very big deal. It's a huge deal. This woman had a huge upset. I personally think that she's going to be spoken about on the national stage because she's just incredible. Crazy. This incumbent, by the way, raised about $600,000 for his campaign. Mm -hmm. Emily only had like $80,000. Yes. Yeah, and she won. All the odds seemed stacked against her in the sense of like these traditional parts of a campaign. Exactly. And we bring this up because... It's so important to vote, and so many people right now are trying to spread the lie that voting isn't important and that your vote doesn't matter, and we have living, breathing proof right now of this incredible Mm -hmm. woman who we all voted for to make a difference in our neighborhood because we believe in her. And 
Emily ran on a platform that includes passing a New York Homes Guarantee, which is a slate of legislation pushed by activist organization Housing for Justice for All that includes universal rent control. She is pushing for decriminalization of drugs and sex work and increasing the funding and power of the Department of Environmental Conservation, and she supports defunding the NYPD. It's also important to note that she has lived in the North Brooklyn community for 15 years mm -hmm. about, and she's lived the lives that we've lived, and she knows the injustices, she knows what it's like, you know, not making enough money to survive in this neighborhood, and I just feel like these are things that can really help her to do what she's doing and mm -hmm. to be really great at it because she, you know, she's obviously not going to forget where she came from. And she's one of <laughs> us. She's our she's age. She's one of us, she's, yeah. She's an elder millennial like Alex yeah. and I. Which she's like 36 or 37. She's 36 or 37. So yeah. she lived through the first Great Recession. She lived through New York City and the gentrification of the neighborhood that we're currently living in in the Williamsburg and Greenpoint areas. Yeah. And she also even lost her job during COVID, like mm -hmm. knows what that struggle was like and trying to pay for her rent during a pandemic. And she openly admits that things only changed for her once she won the race and people started looking at her differently and suddenly all of these doors opened up for her. Yes. And she speaks openly and candidly about that and she's just so incredible. And we had such an incredible conversation with her and she's so fun and funny and genuine. And we are so excited to share our interview with you guys. I am so excited. I just want to say this quote of hers that was in the Gotham Gazette. She says, I'm really grateful and I'm never going to forget what it's like outside of the chambers that I'm about to go into. Says a lot. It says a lot. You We've know. got a good one going in there to fight the good fight for us. And we are here to share her story with you. We hope that you all enjoy it and hope that it also teaches you, if, if you're unsure about what local elections mean and how they affect your life, this is also really informative. And and, and if you live in North Brooklyn, you're going to really enjoy this. Totally. But I think the <clears throat> bigger message that Emily really shares is using your voice and following yeah. your heart and not settling and realizing that you are destined for greater things. The scraps are not enough. The scraps are not enough. Oh, guys, Emily Gallagher is a gem and is so fucking incredible. So without further ado, please enjoy our interview with Emily Gallagher, the 50th District for New York City Assemblywoman-elect. Enjoy. Enjoy. Emily Gallagher, and I am the Democratic nominee for the 50th District of the New York State Assembly. Yes, I love that. It is a mouthful. Rolls right off the tongue. Yeah, very easy to say. And then I always say it like wrong or mixed up, but I'll get it down. You're, You're like, I swear I'm the real deal. Then I'll just be able to say assembly member. Yes, I love that. Um, okay, so I... Before we even start with your journey, because I'm really thrilled to just learn more about you and everything that makes you so wonderful leading up to where we are today and in the future, but I'm also excited to speak with you because, like we were just joking about, there's this super serious election going on, but even more so with the election is I think that a lot of people are becoming 
more interested and realizing about hyper-local politics and how mm -hmm. much that affects us, even if everything else doesn't affect us mm -hmm. directly, um, which is kind of, which is what Alex and I were talking about, why we're so excited to speak with you, because I feel like even if things don't go the way that I hope that they do with the general election, I know that we have somebody that's fighting on our team right here in our community, which mm -hmm. is really, really fucking awesome. I know, it gives me like the chills. I know, I was honestly crying this morning thinking about like you and just talking to you today and I'm, it's super cheesy, but, but I was really excited. <laughs> oh, so, that's really nice to hear. No, it's true, girl. Everything is shit except for like you <laughs> and the podcast. <laughs> Um, so if you don't mind just saying, like, what is an assembly person? What, sure. what does the job do and title? So the, the state is very similar to the federal government in that we have two houses and then we have like an executive over the top. So we have the governor and then we have the state senate and the state assembly and the state assembly is the bigger house. So there's more representatives and the districts are smaller. So I will be a representative of one of these smaller districts. My district includes Greenpoint, parts of Williamsburg, and a little slice of Clinton Hill. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So if that was a was... good way to lay it out. Now Perfectly. I understand. Yes. I didn't really yeah. before. If we were talking about the federal <laughs> level, would you be be considered a congressperson in terms yes. of... Okay, that's what I was thinking. Mm. Wikipedia yes. Instead of a yes. sen senator, it's like I'm a congressperson. Right. Oh but at a smaller it. level. Oh it's kind of a huge deal that it's, you're going to yeah, be a congresswoman, but an assembly really person. A big, a yes. big deal. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, it's like the Congress of the state. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's start from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to know more about your journey. Do you yeah. mind telling us where you grew up? Sure. So I was born right outside of Washington, D.C., but when I was a kid, we moved to Rochester, New York. Oh, wow. And, well, I grew up right outside of Rochester, New York in the in the suburbs. Okay. So I lived there um, until I was 18, uh, and then I moved to Ithaca, where I went to college, mm -hmm. and then right after that, I spent one, like, extended semester abroad into, like, a year in London, and then I moved to New York. Awesome. So I've been actually in Greenpoint since I graduated from college in 2006. Wow. I love that. That's when I moved to Brooklyn, 2006, or 2007. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah, Those so were you're good another times. person who's really built a, a sense of rootedness here. Totally, mm -hmm. totally. Yeah. Except I'm, I lived in Bushwick for a long time. But yeah. North Brooklyn. But, yeah. you know, yeah. it's very similar. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So what made you want to move to Brooklyn? Was it, I mean, I think for most people growing up in, I don't want to answer for you. We're both also sure. New Yorkers. And so uh -huh. I think generally if you grew up in New York State and you want to like really make something of yourself, you mm -hmm. you kind of come to New York City. Like that's kind of like yeah. the, the pull. And I wonder if that's the same for you. Yeah. Similarly, when I spent that year in London, I loved the pedestrian lifestyle. Mm. I loved public transit. I loved the cosmopolitan makeup of this city with people from all over the world. And, you know, I really wanted to, like, stay there. Yeah. But my family was like, hell no. <laughs> like, are not doing that. And then I, I was thinking about it. I, I thought to myself, 
if this is what I want, like New York City has all those assets as well. Right. So I should move to New York City and, and really root there because I knew that I didn't want to, you know, have that kind of strip mall car culture kind mm -hmm. of life. Mm -hmm. Is that um, what Rochester I, was like? Well, I was growing up inner city Rochester. Um, there's really strong culture and that's really great. And I loved getting to be a part of that. There's the bus, but there's not really good public transit there. And there's also, uh, it's not really a, a walkable city. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just shocking you know, when you go to other cities, right? And just like, how do people get around? Nobody's walking. It's so weird. Yeah. It's it is so, so weird. weird. And it's, it's kind of, you know, it makes you feel really isolated. I think, mm. yeah. uh, you don't get that experience of the smells and the sounds and the mm, interactions that you have with strangers. Totally. Yeah. Um, which is all what I like about being in a, in a very, it's really an older kind of city feel, you know, when, when you, when it was shaped around pedestrians, because then once you get to like 20th century cities, like LA, they're designed around cars, right? Right. Yeah. So, really. This was not, and this is something I think we should always remind ourselves of, is that New York City was not designed around cars. It was redesigned yeah. mm -hmm. to include cars so we can redesign it to change it in other ways, too. Yes. Yes. Fuck yeah. And I love that because, not to get ahead of ourselves, but especially yeah. when people are saying, like, New York is dead. Is New York dead? New York has been here for 400 years. It has reinvented itself so many times, yeah. which is why we're still here, why it's still, like, a world capital city. And right. that's, I mean, that's the beauty of it, right? It's reinventing right. itself a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what parts of New York are you two from? I'm from Queens and Long Island. And I grew up oh, in the cool. Catskills. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So oh, you don't think Long Island's to beautiful? talk to other New York skaters, you know? Yeah, I Long know. Island's also beautiful. <laughs> 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 um, wait, what did you study in college? I'm so curious. I so that. I started out, I went to school to study audio production oh wow interesting um yeah I, you know yeah <laughs> but, we might need you <laughs> but i actually it was kind of an uncomfortable major for me first of all i, I would get really like panicky about doing things right mm. and there were only a handful of women in my degree yeah so it was mostly men and there was definitely attitude that we got like mm. one of my very best friends who i'm still very close with to this day um i met in that program she was one of the only girls i had ever had in one of my classes for that degree oh, wow and um i remember on the first day of class the professor said i'll put sarah and emily together so none of the others have to deal with working with a girl oh my god what and it was just what like, the heck wow Wow. So, and uh, you know, it's just, That's so what? Weird. You, know, you can't believe that somebody's saying this and you're incensed, but also it does really impact your way. Like you become really self-conscious about your performance, right? Mm -hmm. So meanwhile, I was taking other classes in, in art history that I loved mm -hmm. and I was excelling in. And I loved thinking about how do we communicate our story, especially if, our story is not the main narrative. Mm -hmm. And so I got really passionate about that. I was getting like 
the highest grade in the class and some of my art history classes. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but I was doing well. <laughs> and then, you know, I was struggling in the other the other program and I, I ended up switching to media studies, which is film and um, art history. Yes. Cinema and visual studies is what mm, I did. Yes. I didn't know anything about audio before starting the podcast. And one of the great things for us about the pandemic was I had a lot of time to just sit down and learn. Mm-hmm. And I, I just realized like, okay, this is why there are unions. This is why there are yeah. people that just <laughs> do this. It's so interesting. One is like the psychology of it, right? Like the idea of like ambient sound versus, I don't even know what the other sound is. The sound, yeah, sound the other like sound. Sound. But like how if sound is missing, you notice it. Like, right. the, like people in the street, like the sirens that we just heard, heard go right. by. Like when that isn't there, you notice it. But when it is happening, you don't really notice it. And mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know, I'd never even thought about that before, but that, that somebody's job is to think about the human interaction with the space and with the setting and put sound to that to make it come alive is so fucking cool. And I hate that yeah. that guy tried to ruin that for you. I know. Yeah. 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 And you know, there's, I was talking to um, like an activist, a, a women's rights activist who is a journalist. And she was saying that the thing that we, we should be emphasizing because it's what confuses us is the, the pure casualness of, you know, both the way we treat violence against women Mm -hmm. or like microaggressions, regardless of if it's about your gender or your race or where you live or whatever, your class, uh, the casualness with which it's done is the confusing part, right? So Mm -hmm. it kind of just permeates you and makes you really insecure. Yes. Makes you think that, you know, you have to prove this person wrong and that ends up superseding the goal of learning or being comfortable. I think to really learn, you have to be feeling like you're, you can ask questions and that you can fail. Yes. And that the failure will be like supported and it won't be the end or like a mark against you. And I think when people make comments like that, it, it, it takes away that, that safety. And so then, then it becomes very difficult to learn. Yes, I agree. A hundred percent. I'm so happy that I've always been like a why kind of person. Well, why mm-hmm. and how? And thank God I was nurtured in that at home because I certainly wasn't in school. Like mm-hmm. I remember teachers being like, all right, let's not just ask questions just for the sake of asking questions. And like now as oh an adult, God. it's kind of like hilarious. They get it. They're just like, girl, shut up. Like, can't we just get through a subject without so many <laughs> questions? But also, that's perfect for doing this. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? And I'm so happy that nobody that at home they weren't like Elizabeth. Shut up. At home, my parents like encouraged me to ask questions and to fail and to not be Mm -hmm. ashamed of being wrong because now you know the truth. And it's crazy the things that people just say to you that they think is fine and just stick with you in a way that is so unhealthy because you don't know why it bothers you. And it's exactly Mm -hmm. what you're saying is that's what takes over your mind. It's just like why did that bother me so much that that person said whatever flippant comment that that person's never going to think about again, but, right. but oh my God. ruins your day, week, month, year, yes. whatever. And yeah. that is so true. The piece about the person not thinking about it ever again, mm-hmm. because it's happened on both sides of my life where someone's come to me and said, Oh, when, when you said this, like, you know, it really upset me and it like changed the course of my, my week or whatever. 
and you don't even remember saying it, right? And then, you know, after I was running, I got some emails from folks from way back in my life, folks that had really, like, you know, some of it was awesome, right? Like, reuniting, like, my high school friends really supported me, and that was, it was really interesting to see who, like, came out, was excited about it and supportive. But then, you know, there were people that, that were like, hey, do you remember me? And I'm like, you were like a bully in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, of course I remember right. you. Yes. I've spent my life trying to disprove things you said to me. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and they like think I don't remember them. Yes. You know, yes. it, just, it just shows, you know, thinking about the perception of space and of the room and of like what we're putting into it and what can be heard and what can't be heard. Like, that's very symbolic way of thinking about yeah um, yeah no but so I love that you switched not to go to go back to uh being in college I love that you switched to media studies because exactly what you said it's a combination of the two right it's like looking at culture from an outsider's lens and putting it together with art I went to Parsons for my undergrad and then my sister studied art history but like the history of art so Totally get where you're going with this. Totally get where you're coming from. And I think it's so cool how one is reflective of the other, right? In so many different ways. Um, And it's great that you were able to also just, like, not let that teacher get to you and find a better path for your... Well, you know, in a way, it did get to me, though, because, you know, maybe I would be a totally different person had I felt like safe failing in that space where I was learning audio production. Totally. You know? Yeah. I could like be working at WNYC now or something. Who knows? But I'm going to push back a little bit because I think that partially part of being oppressed, I guess, is using that to your advantage and using that to push you to go further than people think that you can go or that maybe even you thought that you could go, right? Mm -hmm. And so my pushback is like, girl... Look what you're about to accomplish. Yes, like, it's true. Like this incredible historical <laughs> soon-to-be win, right? So I would argue that maybe it ended up working out for you. So one of the things that, you know, I think that so many, like, oppressed people, their oppression ends up fueling them into situations that they didn't plan, right? And, and like, maybe that's great for for all of us in the world to like move forward. But I think also like, you know, there's an inequity in that because, you know, I switched what I was doing twice because of things that happened to me. Like I went and worked in the art world here and I suffered like sexual assault while I was in the art world, like in the Mm. workplace. And then I felt like I couldn't work there, you know? Right. So then I felt like I had to leave that world. Right. That was like, I was also an artist assistant. Those artists were cool. They were great. Yes. But, you know, it was the, like, more glossy part of it that, you know, I I felt really scared in. And so then it's like, I remember my mom, she'll be mad if she listens to this. (laughs) I remember her saying one time, she was like, oh, you know, you're a late bloomer or something. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, what people don't realize is like I switched my plan twice mm. because of, of, you know, feeling like I had to pivot away from something that was making me feel uncomfortable and scared, you know? Yeah. And I remember one time I was in LA at like a fundraising event for my old job, which was like at this nonprofit. And my colleague and I, 
uh, were talking to this guy and he was like a producer and he was complaining about how Me Too was impacting James Franco's career. And like, he was like, what's gonna happen to his career now? And I just got so fine. He will be just fine. <laughs> He's going to be fine. I mean, look at Louis C.K., right? Right. So I was just like, well, what about the girl that was, like, trying to be an actress mm-hmm. and then had to, like, leave? Yeah. Leave the her whole passion. Thing? Right. Yeah, she had to leave her passion and start over again. So I think probably there's so many people who have had to, like, pick up and switch and then you just end up a little bit older and a little bit poorer and a little bit like more exploratory and I'm glad it happened to me because I'm really excited about the impact I'm gonna have but I also just you know it kind of like it it takes a special person to turn it right like think about all the other as soon as I said what I said I realized like think of all the other people who weren't able to do that right who who weren't able to just say well fuck that guy because that takes a lot to be able to believe in yourself that much right like I'm sure that most people are just yeah you'd fall back into your shell and that's why the patriarchy is what it is and that's you know that's, that's why things are the way that they are because divide and conquer and just keep beating people down and making them feel less than and you got no competition, right? You can just run everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes people feel like whatever they're trying to accomplish is impossible for yes. them. Yes. You know? Yes. And putting up barriers to entry to make it right. impossible at times. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. my goodness. Okay. So let's get back this on track. Fun. Yeah. It's so great. I, no, I love it. It is fun. Um, so, okay. So it's in college, where, okay, yeah, after college. school, you went into the art world. And then mm-hmm. after the art world, you left for the reasons that you just said. You're trying. You mm-hmm. didn't feel comfortable. And then what mm-hmm. was next for you? Then I remember I spent a summer on unemployment, kind of <laughs> floating. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, gee, now what am I going to do?" And then I decided. Well, I didn't really decide. Economics and capitalism decided for me that I needed to find something to do. Right. And one of my friends. Said, well, she worked in a local cafe and she said, I think you'd really enjoy working for a small local business. You get to like know everybody in the neighborhood, you get to connect, uh, you build relationships, and it just feels, it makes the place feel really alive in a better way than like using it as a bedroom community or whatever, commuting back and forth to Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So oh, bedroom community. community. I've never heard yeah. that phrase oh, before. Yeah I, like. yeah, I like that too. Yeah. So I got a job at a little boutique called Alter that had just opened. Yes. Alter. <laughs> and I was their first employee. No wow. way. Wait, on Graham Ave? The one on Graham Ave? No, the one on Franklin was first, right? It was on Franklin, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And, and is that like 2009-ish? 2008? It was 2007. Okay. So I worked, you know, I worked in the art world for like one year before I was like, help. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it happens like that, which is a blessing, yeah. right? Or you're just like, oh, and this also is not for when, me. When you're brand new, one year like feels like forever. Totally. Yes. I love your friend's advice though, and that you took it. <laughs> you know, I just needed to do something and I didn't, I think I was still kind of reeling because like there was, there was a bunch of moving pieces in my life at that moment and where the the bad thing happened was like an internship and then I had like a three paid positions of different levels you know I was still 
struggling. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, and I was still living on my friend's floor. Yeah, you know that's the crazy Sarah. thing about like these um like these big, shout out to Sarah. So shout out to Sarah. <laughs> these big like I don't know like luxury jobs in in fashion in art in these worlds where there's a lot of wealth and not a yes. lot of money is like mm -hmm. you have to come from a family that can support your lifestyle because they're not paying you shit. Yep. Otherwise you, you're sleeping on Sarah's otherwise floor. Otherwise you're sleeping on Sarah's floor working three jobs, right. like just, you know, eating tuna out of a can, but you're selling, you know, million dollar paintings yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It was such a rude awakening. And that's mm -hmm. why I'm a socialist, really. I remember a very nice girl that I worked with at one of the many jobs who had wealth she was like the granddaughter of one of the artists that was represented that was mm -hmm. like famous mm -hmm. and i remember she got her zits extracted by a dermatologist mm -hmm. and meanwhile like i couldn't go to the dentist you know right, right. and i was so confused because i hadn't ever really learned about what you're saying the difference between wealth and like earned income mm -hmm. which is so different yes mm -hmm. it's shocking and so yeah. hidden well coming to new york yeah. is it's i'll speak for all three of us it seems like we came from similar backgrounds is yeah. it's shocking to see the amount of wealth that's in the world when you mm -hmm. come from like a blue collar a middle class family mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. see like i can't even imagine you know what i mean like the people how much money these people have like but it's just working for them in the banks for years and for generations and it doesn't make any sense to people like us until you sit down and read about <laughs> right. it. And it's just like, how are these people living this life and nobody's working? And then you learn about the system and it's like, right. oh, okay. It's yeah, it's, it's nuts. nuts. And it's it's completely exclusive. Especially in New York City because yes. there's just so many disparities. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yes. The amount yes. of wealth that's here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then the amount of poverty. It's yes. crazy. Right. Yeah. I've been... Uh, studying like tax policy with like this working group that is all about like debt and um, finance and basically the tax code we don't tax people's inheritance their stock transfers mm -hmm. like any of the ways that you would pull down wealth yeah. kind of money yeah we only tax we only tax like earned income mm-hmm and we actually have a regressive income tax so that we are essentially taxing the top percentage and the very bottom, the same percentage of their income. Yes. 11%. Yeah. It's insane. So there's no world in which anyone would think that that was equitable. Mm -hmm. It's because, you know, we have to storm the, the tower here mm -hmm. and like actually get our hands on a the ability to change those codes, right? Yes. And so, so much nuts. of it is keeping, not letting us know, like keeping, not keeping the truth from us, but not teaching us either. Do you know? Yeah. Like, like keeping it like, yeah. like, we don't teach you those things. We don't teach you about tax in, in college mm -hmm. or in school, right? In, no. in high school. We're not right. going to teach you about, you know, finance, personal finance, or even like Wall Street or even like 401ks and retirement and all these things. Like right. we're not going to teach it to you. We're going to see if you find it out on your own. Yeah. Chances right. are you're probably and your, not. Your family, if you're from wealth. Yes. Yeah. Or they have somebody that they've hired to do it for you. Yep. You're not even paying any attention to it. Yes. Mm -hmm. I forgot which truth. one of the founding fathers said this, and I need to look it up because I don't want conspiracy theorists to think that this is like, you know, one of those uh, fake news, what have you. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that like Ben Franklin 
I'm paraphrasing, essentially said, it's better to keep the working class from knowing anything about money so they just keep working. Ah. I mean, I really need to look this up. Even if that wasn't said, it was said in so many ways. Exactly. Right, yeah. It's implied in so many ways. You see how it's the truth, you you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, anyway, so you're disgusted by (laughs) by the wealth (laughs) cap. Yeah, so I'm I'm disgusted by wealth, so I was like, okay, well, I'll do this, I'll try it, and then I'll I'll figure out what I want to be doing. So I went there, and it was really just wonderful. Tommy and Roy, they were just a little older than me, and they were, like, so welcoming and, like, fun and, like, quirky and driven and it was just a really nice environment to spend some time in and you know I love talking to people so it was I felt like I was pretty good at selling things I wasn't Mm -hmm. so detail oriented with some of the other things so sometimes I would get in (laughs) trouble because I like wasn't like you know right I would kind of like yeah exactly you're supposed to like straighten and judge and like yes. make everything <laughs> <Yes>. nice <laughs> straightening at the racks yep yep yeah, I remember and like I finger just, with the part yes oh we are just, former retail like, workers yeah. also girl former retail workers yes and the folding of the jeans the endless folding of yes. the jeans thankfully yes. I worked at a discount clothing store that everything was on shitty hangers <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have to fold thank god Every single thing. Well, that has its own problem because then they fall on the floor. Is that like the first sense that you really got of the community, would you say, when you were working at Alter? Like- yeah, I would say that, you know, it was a mixture of working there. And at the same time, I decided to start getting involved in activism because one of the things that I did, you know, sometimes when we don't like our jobs, we're not very good employees, right? So when I was at the fancy place, the fancy art place, Sometimes I would, you know, when nobody was there, look for other opportunities. Right. (laughs) And I remember finding out about this place, iBeam, which was like technology and art and activism. And they had fellowships. Mm. And I I looked up who the fellows were. And one of them was an anti-capitalism artist. And I just wrote him this email that was like, desperate and I was like I studied (laughs) art history and media studies and I'm a culture jammer and I love and now I'm like working in this terrible place that's not punk at all he's like basically like rescuing and he wrote back and he's like let's meet and he actually lived in Williamsburg too his name's Steve Lambert so he met with me and he was like yeah why don't you become my like assistant and You know, he paid me like $12 an hour. So I was making a little more than minimum wage. Right. But like, that was a really good balance. But like working with him, then I met some of the other artists he was working with, and they were working on environmental issues. And I started to be like, I'm kind of a hypocrite to be making, you know, helping folks with these things about community and environment when I live in a community and I live in an environment and I'm not plugged in. Mm. So I started to kind of seek that out. And so I joined this local activist group called NAG. And then I was working in the store and it was really good. Uh, and then I was working at an after school program at the local high school at Grand Street Beacon. Oh, wow. That's so cool. And it was, 
it was a really good mix because yeah. I, I was getting three different perspectives, right? Right. Because, you know, Alter's a, a nice store and, right. you know, they had a range of prices when I was working there. I haven't gone back there um, to shop in a while, which is very bad of me. <laughs> but well, girl, We're in a pandemic. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but, you know, I'm not sure what their, their spread is, if they're more, like, high-priced now. It's still pretty, or still pretty have- uh, reasonable. Okay. Yeah. I'd say for like Brooklyn stores, I think it's. Right. Right. Yeah. On par. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I was meeting a very certain group of people there. And then in the activism world, I was meeting a different group. And then at the, at the, you know, the after school program, I was meeting kids who had a very different experience Mm -hmm. and learning about what their experience was and learning that we're all living in this community together Mm -hmm. and, you know, really starting to pay attention to like, what stories I knew, what stories I didn't know. I started reading the like hyper local papers. Mm-hmm. I just got really interested in it. And then the person I was dating at the time after like two years of me working at the store, he was like, you're still passionate about museums. You're passionate about history. Why don't you go into the education department? Cause I had been working in acquisitions, which was where mm. all the things yeah. were not how as I liked it. Yeah. So then I applied to work at, Oh, I'm leaving out, like you, know, the, like you were saying, we're all like working a million jobs, right? So right. I have like 10, I remember one time somebody was like, what's your previous job? And I listed like six. And they were like, <laughs> like, oh no, I just need to hear about one. And I was like, no, like I've always had at least three jobs. Mm-hmm. And that was true until like two years ago. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I guess four years ago, but still, you know, I'm 36. Well, and it wasn't in the, do you remember in, um, I think it was George Bush or somebody when he was like, and and what do you do, ma'am? And she was like, I work three jobs. And he was like, oh, look at that. Isn't that the American way? This hardworking woman working three jobs. And we're just what? like, what? Exactly. So that's my question. Is this what? Yeah, like, that is the American way. And it's shitty. Well, this wasn't in yeah. the, I, I have my hands in so many pots because I'm so interested in right, so many Right, it's like I'm struggling. This is in the, I had to work this many jobs because right. this is what it took to survive way. Right. right. It was kind of like a, a blend of the two. Like, yes. the activism was volunteer. The, you know, I actually was pretty pleased with the way that they paid me at the after school program. Um, but, you know, it was like two hours a day. So, right. like, yeah. you know, totally. and then, you know, I was getting my above minimum wage at the store. Oh, yes. That was three days a week. So I was just like cobbling all this stuff together. And I, I picked up tour guiding and I became like a tour guide and. You know, I really enjoyed that, but I I wanted to get more in depth. And so anyway, this this partner from my past was like, I'm going to sit down here with you and watch you apply to work at history museums because that's what you want to do and you're denying it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got hired at the Tenement Museum, which was like oh, no my way. favorite hey, museum yeah. in the world. It's so cool. I've never been, then but I, I've heard a lot so about cool. it. Oh, I loved, I love it. I still do. The education team there was like a pure, true family. Like I'm still very close to them. They had their own little fundraiser for me when I was running. And it was like. So great. I still am so tight with those people. It feels like no other coworker experience I've ever had. It was not, oh, like it was nice working with you, but now we're not working together anymore. So I have fond memories of you, but I'm not talking to you. It's like. We are still a family. And even when I left that job to get one that 
paid better. Um, uh, you know, it's just like, I, I still missed those people like every day, you yeah. know, it and I worked like there for really, six years. It sounds like you're really well, good at building community no matter where you go. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I think that it's, I, I'm not going to toot our own horns, but I would say that Alex and I are probably very similar and that's why I can pick yeah. up on it and just like love, like being really honestly curious about people and wanting to know more about them and what pains do you have? What do you love? And just really getting to know somebody, yeah. which is more than a lot of people can say, but I can see that you just have a passion for people. And really, I'm really thinking about like, what is shaping people's lives? You know, mm-hmm. like the conversation we're having where we're going back through like, this is the experience and then this is the the trend right this mm-hmm. is like why it was like this like yes all three of us have this experience of coming as a young person to the city and simply not being able to make ends meet in a livable way mm-hmm. for like you know our young adult years totally yeah yeah and, and I think we were all probably here around the same time, the first Great Recession, right? Like, yes. Yeah. Yes, coming into that and just, I graduated in 2008, girl. And you, yeah. you in like 2006, 2006. right? You said, yeah, yeah, so just coming into nothingness. And so the whole, and everybody telling you, every newspaper person, like, this is awful. There's no jobs. We haven't seen anything like this. And so, yeah, just like coming into New York City in like, I'm kind of glad that I was the age that I was, though. Oh, yeah. Because I think that I didn't expect much anyway. Exactly. (laughs) Like, it prepared, honestly, it prepared me for this, for the pandemic, 100%. Uh Like, because kind of what we're talking about is going through those experiences sets you up for what you don't want or what you want to make sure doesn't happen again. Right. I was like, I need a recession-proof job. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going through this again in 10 years. And, you know, lipstick economics is real. So we're, yeah. we're seeing it play out it right now. We're doing okay. The only God. difference is during yeah. the pandemic, you have to close. But, but yes, once if, we the, if the recession were due not to a pandemic. Exactly. But have you been able to open again or work yeah, again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been open since July. July. We've been open since okay. July. And like, thank God we're doing very well because everything is shit and women need to feel good. And so they I can, know. Yes. you know, in a time especially when like you can't necessarily go and, you know, get a hundred dollar facial you can maybe get a fifty dollar wax or especially Mm -hmm. because we're all wearing masks like we're doing so many eyebrows right now just like brows all day you know it's all you can see and it's funny people are like instead of going to a nail salon and getting a seven dollar eyebrow wax they'd rather come and spend more money here knowing that's gonna be safer but also that you're gonna get a great experience and you can carry that through the rest of your week or the rest of your day or whatever and just look in the mirror and feel great and Remember the conversation you had with those funny girls and feel good. Like, that's worth $50. Oh, us. You know, we're okay. But that's, like, worth $50 over seven to people right now. And so that's why, thank goodness, we're doing well, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it's, like, I, like, have deep admiration for my stylist. I look forward to every time I get my hair cut, you know? Like, I just love, I love the experience. I love that it's, like, you know there's sometimes men in there or whatever, but it's really a woman's space. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's a, a place where the expectation is that you're going to be able to like talk about whatever it is that you like to talk about. And you're going to be able to have that kind of connection and community in that place. And I think that is something that, you know, 
no matter how much you love your family or your partner, like having that like private moment is something mm-hmm. that we're really deprived of in this this time. It's so true. It's so people have true. been unleashing a lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Sitting down and just yeah. like it all comes out and I'm like, go girl, go off. We understand. Do it. <laughs> say what you have to yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah, you guys should be like, you know, social workers. <laughs> I, I mean, we basically are. I know, I'm like, gotta charge yeah. a therapy fee for we're, this. We're beauty therapists over here, do you know? <laughs> charge fees. Um, but okay, so back to you. Well, then a couple of things happen, I think, that are important to my journey. So the person I was with was a musician, and he was very like very clear on what he wanted to do with his life, where he was going with it. He had been working on it. And this is, this goes back to that earlier thing that we were talking about with like what happens when to women or, or other uh, oppressed people when they get derailed all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Like he had never gotten derailed from his mission. It had been his mission his whole life. Mm-hmm. He had found his path. You know, he worked very hard, but he was on it and he was having a lot of success. And I felt like really lost and I felt like I liked my job. But, you know, there's a lot of jobs in this world that people appreciate, but then they condescend. Mm-hmm. And and all the time I would give like a fantastic tour and I would pull out all this extra info from all this additional reading and studying I had done. And I would be able to answer every question and bring things to life and move people. And then at the end, someone would be like, so like, are you a student? Yeah. And you're like, no, like this is, I'm doing my job. Yes. Like I educated you for an hour. Yes. They'd be like, oh, so you want to be a teacher? And I'm like, I am a teacher. I just taught you. Yes. I felt like in my life, there were always people saying like, what is your actual ambition? Yes. And I was just like, what the fuck? So I felt generally like I wasn't fulfilled. Yeah. I just felt totally unappreciated. And then I felt like I was in the shadows, even though I was doing all this stuff that I felt really mattered. And, you know, honestly seeing seeing my partner get like all this attention was really great but then he started to get like it kind of went to his head mm-hmm. and he was starting to be like really cocky and like kind of treating me like disposable mm-hmm. and I felt really depressed and I felt like my life was you know really not going the way that I wanted it to mm-hmm. and then that relationship ended and then I went into really deep depression. Like I couldn't get out of bed. I was like really sidelined. I like could not function. And I had a really, really good friend who I had met at the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she had walked over to me and she had said, you know, I see you everywhere, all this activist stuff and you're cool. <laughs> you know, cool is subjective. Each other I think you're cool. cool. I think you're pretty cool. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I didn't want to be like, I'm cool. You know, like me and her, yeah. we were yeah. on the you're same like, way. She back. said it. You're right. And she was like, we should hang out. So then she and I became really good friends. And she's still one of my best friends. And, like um, and you know, I remember her saying to me one day, she was like, you know, you should go to therapy. Like, you need to talk, mm-hmm. you know, and you need to work this out. She's like, I, we all see your greatness. Like. You know, but you're really, you know, because I like I was missing work because I just could not get out of bed. I was having all kinds of problems, you know, 
and it was hard because I had to go from living with my my former partner to like having roommates in this apartment that was really not constructed for roommates. Like mm-hmm. I had to build like I built like a fake wall. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, like in there, a friend of a friend did. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The person who was living there didn't want to be living there, so they were depressed. You know, and it was just like a very hard time where I just felt like a loser. Mm. You know, and then it was hard too because I would walk down the street and see like billboards yeah. with him on it and I'd be like Dude, I always wondered what that would be like to date somebody and break up with them. You have to fucking see their stupid yeah. face and they're doing well and everybody fucking loves them. Girl, and then, that is and so then hard. Find out that about you and then they're like oh, Oh my god, I love that person, and you're like, thanks, dude. That's what I needed to hear right now. Yeah, like I can't hear it. Like, <laughs> oh my god, I yes. could not imagine. No, that's so <laughs> too bad. Hard. The listeners will be able to see the face I just made. But so you know, so then I found this great therapist who also lives in the district. He just really helped me to see like some very important things about myself, like how to develop boundaries, and and one of the big boundaries he felt like I needed to develop was like about my own work, Mm -hmm. like that I was used to a life where I would take what I could get and that I needed to, you know, and that was actually harming me. Yes. Especially economically. Grateful for scraps, right? Right. Yeah. Been there. Yeah. So, you know, so he really helped me. Eventually I started like feeling like I was getting my life back together. I went to him for about four years straight and he worked with me and he just, you know, he really encouraged me to like stand up for myself more. Mm -hmm. And so then at work, we were having this scandal. It wasn't a scandal at all. What was scandalous (laughs) was that it wasn't a scandal. (laughs) You know, they wanted to be open. This was at the museum. They wanted to be open on all the holidays. Uh And, you know, they were closed on the actual holiday, the day of it. But, you know, they would, like, push it as far as they could. Right. So nobody can travel. Nobody can do anything but go home, have the holiday, and go back to work the next day. Right. Exactly. Been there, too. You mean my whole life until I started working here? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Exactly. (laughs) And, you know, it was like, I just felt like it was so ironic because we were telling stories about workers who were oppressed. Right. And we were telling stories about families. And I was just thinking, like, oh, my God, we can't see our family because we have to work mm-hmm. and we can't travel to see them. You're looking and around then, like what's changed besides the, like the clothes. Right? Like, exactly. and, it, and it would start to get really irritating when you're on a tour showing someone an apartment that actually kind of looks like your apartment. And you're exactly. telling a story about sleeping on the floor and you're sleeping on the floor. What I mean, girl, what's changed besides the clothes, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you know in that mix that you're actually one of the more privileged people mm-hmm. and that the people like down the street in Chinatown are in the exact same or worse situation mm-hmm. as the situation you're talking about. And I remember my therapist called it my Norma Ray moment. Because we were having this meeting where they were talking about how we were going to, like, draw straws or something. And I stood up and I said, we don't accept your offer. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I was shaking because I love this job. And remember, this is, like, my family. Yes. You stood up for your family. I had gotten a promotion. 
and I was in an enviable position, even though I was still making like poverty wages. And I mean that, like we would talk about what a poverty wage was and have like a diagram. Honestly, there we are right on the diagram. Because $12 an hour after taxes is what, like seven? Right. right? Yeah. In New York City. And then at the, at the museum we were earning, this was in 2009, the starting salary was 17 an hour, which was pretty good, but they would limit how much work you could. Of course. Right. 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 So then it was hard because it was, they would work to try to work around your second job. But, like, you had to have a second job. And the second job, you know, one of them has to be kind of disposable. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you have yeah. to decide. You have to go into that work experience, like, Sophie's choice always. Like, which totally. one of these is the one I'm sticking with? And for me, it was always the, the museum. Mm-hmm. So I would pick up these other things, and then they would ask too much. And then I would end up losing it because I would say, well, I can't do that because I'm loyal to this job. Totally. So... I just like stood up and I was like, we don't accept, like we, we deserve holiday pay. We all deserve at least some extra compensation Mm -hmm. for working this. And it kind of became like this whole heated thing. And you know, the next day I was kind of like told not to do that again. And I said, if I have to do it again, I'll do it again. Mm -hmm. And then I started getting like monitored. My performance was monitored. And Mm -hmm. I was like, "Mm." they're like, this smells like a union around here. Yeah. <laughs> and and it was funny because we, you know, some folks on the staff had tried to form a union. I had actually, in those early days, been really afraid of that because, like, you know. Exactly what started to happen to you. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. And then I was like, oh, shit. So, yeah. Okay, so I knew that, there was a reason I didn't say anything all this time. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. And and it was like, oh, yeah, I was in the, like, groveling position. It was just, you know, and it felt, like, so weird because I had been kind of, like, critical. And then I was like, oh, shit. And then I stood up for everybody. And, you know, they did end up getting the holiday pay. But I ended up, like, on high alert trying to find another job quickly because I yeah. just knew. Yeah. That I w- my days were numbered because I was becoming a troublemaker. Yes. I like troublemakers. And, you know, like, my therapist was like, good, that's what you need to do. Yes. And I was just like, it felt good, but, like, I'm scared, and, like, now I'm going to lose this thing that I love. And he was like, no, he's like, situations that you are enjoying but, like, cost you, like, that's not a healthy relationship. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was struggling so much financially Oh, this is another major factor in me standing up. I had fallen on the ice and broken my wrist. And I I was one of the lucky few at the job who was eligible for health insurance. Most of the part-time workers had no opportunity for health insurance. Oh, yeah, girl. Still over here. Yeah. 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 So I know about and, that. That sounds terrifying, breaking your arm. And then it costs like thousands of dollars. And I couldn't even pay a little bit. Mm -hmm. So then I was having all these fundraisers for myself, Mm. like storytelling nights. I was like pulling out all the nonprofit, like activist stuff. Right. But just having a live. That's insane. Having events to pay from getting a cast. Yeah. That's insane. And then I was like this, you know, he was like, this is not the society that we should live in, you know? And, and, you know, you should not be doing this. Not in America, right? Right. Like, honestly. It was so stressful looking for that next job because I didn't want to leave. 
but I felt like I had to leave. Yes. And this is what makes whistleblowers and like, I mean, I'm not calling myself a whistleblower. I did like a little thing. Yeah, yeah but you were. But, like, but whistleblowers and people who do lawsuits and stuff, they have to stay in those jobs mm. like long after. Like they have to stay there for it to go through. Right. So, you know, just with my little experience of like minor discomfort there. I couldn't imagine. Same. I was just like, oh, I got to get out of here. And I was like having trouble finding something. I interviewed for this job that I thought I would be good at, which was doing community fairs, community uh, affairs, not fairs. Community <laughs> affairs. I became a carny. No. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great addition to your whole that story. That would be a really good pivot. <laughs> So doing community affairs for a youth hostel who wanted to be a better neighbor. And I was really into that idea. Yes. Like, Mm -hmm. how do we involve local people into that? So I interviewed for that. It wasn't called community affairs yet. And I waited. Oh, my God. They didn't get back to me for, like, literally six months. Wow. So I had interviewed for it before my Norma Ray moment. Then the Norma Ray moment came. Then I was being supervised and, like, micromanaged. And Mm -hmm. I was like... Crying at work every day. Oh, no. From the job that you love to, like, this job that you hate. Mm. Yes. Just for, like, standing up for yourself and your friends. Yes. Exactly. And then I was, like, you know, so stressed. And then I was going to get a coffee before we were having a meeting. And while I was on my coffee break, they called me and they're like, sorry, this whole thing happened where we had offered the job to someone and they were like going to move. And then at the last minute they decided not to. So then we put in for you and then we had to go through this whole like process again, but now we're offering you the job. Yeah. And I was like, this could not have come at a better freaking moment. Yes. Like, just like, I was like, pull the alarm and jump out of the plane. Right. Yes. So I went back and I was like, I've accepted another job. And then I asked, like, what's the pay going to be? You know, and I, at that point, I was like, you know, whatever. I was making 33 a year, 33000 Oh, my God, dude. And, and living in New York City on 33000 Which I know there's people who live on even less. six years of working there. Wow, man. Jeez. So, that's like nothing. And, and yeah. I feel bad saying that because I know there's people that live on less, but that's just so... It's very hard. Nobody should have to live on less than that, you know, and nobody should have to live on that much. Yeah. But that's still, if you're making minimum wage now, you get about $30,000 a year. Wow. So how are you supposed to live? You know, and those things are hard. Yeah. Those are maybe arguably many cases harder than the higher paying jobs. Of course, because they're manual labor usually. Yeah, or like service, dealing yes. with yeah. very impatient or rude or, you know, entitled, yes. whatever. Yes. And, you know, managers who think that you can come and go and not thinking about the way that you not having a job will impact your life. Mm-hmm. So, wow, I'm really talking a lot about work, but this is really why I'm here, right? Yeah. This so, is all very relatable. It is. It's yeah. very relatable, and it's painting the picture as to why... Exactly what you said, why you're here and why you've become who you've become. Like, you've lived it. Like, you're you're preaching right now, and I'm like, yes, girl, been there. Yes, seen it, lived this life also. Yes, Mm -hmm. and I think this is the main story of at least our generation in this community. Mm -hmm. You know, and I know that, you know, there's been a huge shift from what it was 
20, 30, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, for the last 20 years, it's been people like us and situations like us having this experience, mm-hmm. you know, and yet the housing market just keeps going up, up, up because they decide to market, you know, this bohemian lifestyle, which is like, actually much of it is like, just not getting a fair chance ever, you know? Yes. No, honestly, Uh, looking at the way the housing market is right now, like there's so much migration and I'm moving actually this week because there's incredible deals right now, but it's like the pricing, the market right now is like, this is what one of the um, agents told me, like, this is where it should be. Like, and even now it's a little bit high, but it's like, you know, one of my clients... Closer to fair. Closer to fair. One of my clients, and I always have to preface this with saying this wasn't my statement because it's so fucking good, but she said, mm-hmm. New York City steals basic amenities from you, repackages them as luxury, and sells them back to you. Yes. And it's so true. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Like, Alex and I joke so... about how, like, she was like, if I got an apartment with a with a dishwasher, I wouldn't even use it. And I'm like, yes, you would, girl. <laughs> yes, you would. Don't feel bad for wanting to use a dishwasher. Like, it's a normal thing in America, it's right? Crazy. Like, yes. And here we are you living know... in this city of luxury. The places that I've lived in, and again, maybe for my age... At the time, it felt suitable, but it was just like, oh, yeah, I'm just living in, like, this punk house. No, this place is a shithole, and no one should have to And you're paying $1,400 a month. I was paying very little rent, but still, it's just the idea of, like, we've found ways to normalize it. Yes. Right. And it goes back to exactly what you're saying is being grateful for scraps. Right. Just being grateful. Like, oh, well, it's a place to live. It's fine that the entire foundation is crumbling and the apartment's (laughs) crooked and our backs hurt every day. Which yeah, is my real life situation right now, which is why we're moving. Do you know? It's, it's insane. Nuts. Yeah. It's I nuts. actually just moved this summer in August. As soon as I found out I won, I got a new apartment. Congratulations. Woo, honestly. But, well, and, and speaking of housing, before I won, you know, I have a partner that I live with. And he and I were both unemployed because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And and people were asking us, you know, I was hearing about apartments through friends of friends, which is always the best way to get a good deal. And my friend was leaving an apartment that looked really great. And it was like $1,800. And, you know, that's actually what fair market value says an apartment should be. Mm-hmm. But around here, you're like, oh, you got to jump on that. You yeah. Know? yeah. I, it's crazy. And I was like, it's like 800. It's great. I know. It's like, how many bedrooms? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so... You know, I was in a rent stabilized place that was affordable. It was like sixteen thirty nine was how much I was paying, but it literally had rats in the wall. Mm-hmm. It had a broken heater, and there was a winter, mm-hmm. it there was the walls were crumbling. The landlady who had been very generous to me in the early years had turned and become very resentful of me. I think because I overstayed my welcome, mm-hmm. you know, because like. Because you wanted to live in a rent-controlled apartment, which is your right. Yeah, Exactly. You know, it's like, I think landlords look at people who look like us, and they're like, oh, this person will be out of here in two years. Mm -hmm. So I want them to live here, because then I can flip the apartment and keep raising the rent. Mm -hmm. So when I moved in, and then I stayed for 10 years, well, that wasn't the plan. (laughs) Well, incomes didn't really go up over that time, right? Right. Incomes didn't go up enough. Exactly. We're the dead generation, supposedly, which I don't want to... I don't know. You tell us after the fact. But we are the generation, exactly what we were just saying, graduated during the recession. We're never able to like get to, to the point that our 
predecessors did, I suppose, financially, because we started so far below, and now 10 years later, still living in rat-filled walls because, like, nothing's changed. Yes. Exactly. And, and it was just so frustrating because I remember when I had the rats in the walls. This is before so casual. I remember when I had the rats in the walls. But it's so normal. That's what's so fucked up is it's so normal in this city is like hearing yeah. right, middle income people in their 30s who work very hard talking about fucking rats in your walls that you just yeah, deal and with. To live with like roommates and have rats yes. and all this stuff. And then just think about what if we, you know, the, the many, many neighbors that we have that don't have the education privilege that we have, that don't have, you know, so much of the the privileges that we have. And Mm. and the way that they're treated is even worse. It's even, I have to be honest, a friend of mine lives in Bushwick and I was so disgusted in her neighborhood looking at like her block and then in her apartment you see the next block and it's all like luxury condos. And it's like so offensive because think about the people who look at that. Who were, yeah. like, you know what I mean? And look at their lives and what they have to live with every single day because they can't get any further. And then the people who are moving into their to, to their neighborhood, like how are they supposed to compete with that but even feel that you're welcome, right? right. In your own neighborhood. Exactly. And this is all because of policy. This is about kickbacks to the real estate industry. This is about, you know, not enough taxation on wealth. Mm-hmm. This is about rent laws not being enforced, housing laws not being enforced because we don't fund the units that are supposed to be doing the enforcement. Mm -hmm. And because we've created a situation where we allow housing, which is a human right. You know, I was just reading on Twitter today, um, the, one of the organizers of the housing justice for all coalition was quoting another organizer she knows. And she said, the problem is that most of us don't even understand what a human right is, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and housing, we need it to live, mm-hmm. you know, we need it to be safe. Why are we allowing people to get away with this? Oh, because the people who are in power are often the people who are benefiting from it mm-hmm. or have never lived the experience of it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just like a blind spot or it's not an important spot. It's not something that is like, you know, it's something that's on the periphery, but will this impact my donations from the luxury developer? Will this mm-hmm. impact the donations from um, the real estate path? You know, well, I think it also goes back to kind of what we were saying at the beginning is just also the everyday person not realizing that they have a choice yeah, or yeah. that they have a voice in the matter or that they can yeah. say, wait a second, this is, I didn't, I never, I saw the last five years, this housing bubble going on around us. And I would talk to people and be like, I was too young for this last housing bubble, but like, this is a bubble, right? Like, this is what yeah. this looks like when every single block, there's luxury buildings going up and you're just like, who is moving into these buildings? And everything is $4,000 a unit. So it's like, yeah. where are these people coming from? And where's this money coming from? And people don't even live in a lot of the units. None of yes, them do. They're all learned. empty. Like, I mean, granted, the pandemic happened, so that's why the bubble popped. But it was like, girl, yes, nobody's even living in these places. They're just getting built. And even the condos, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent, but even the I condos, I've got clients who are like, I bought my uh, unit, and for the amount of money that I put into repairing the entire building, because every mm-hmm. time it rains, the entire building rains, the walls are falling through, because as soon as that developer sells all of the units, their hands are clean. It's not my problem yes. anymore. Now it's the problem of the tenants. And it's like, disgusting. It's disgusting. People are paying half a Thanks million. Thanks for reminding me, because I want to make a policy about that. 
Thank yes. you for reminding me of that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And, you know, then they get black mold. Yes. Yes. Because and you can't, can't afford to off. move. Yes. Yeah. And you bought that apartment. Yes. You know? Yes. And what are you going to do? Sell it? Now. If you want to try to sell it, you've got mold. Yep. You've got to do the whole remediation thing. Yep. Yeah. It's all just like, you know, it's such a sick game and it's so predatory. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it, really it just has to stop. Yeah. Well, yeah. And what I was going to say before was that, you know, I went, I, I love the apartment. I said, I'd like to have it. And then she found out the landlady found out that we were unemployed. She got really nervous. Mm-hmm. She was like, I don't want you to be unemployed here. And I was like, I'm kind of in a funny situation. Right. I'm not like, a congresswoman. I was literally just waiting for the absentee ballot count. Right. And and I had predictions from my data scientist that was working on the <laughs> that I was going to win. Yes. And I was like, you know, I might end up being the next assembly person. Yes. So soon I will have a job. And, I was, and she was like, well, can you get like some kind of can you get Andy Cuomo to write you a letter stating yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. So then I like have my parents write to me. I had to print out all this information about how much money I had in my bank account. And it was all very humiliating. Yeah, 37-year-old woman. And you're just yes. like, why? Getting an apartment in New York City is it's it's always sucks. humiliating, it even is, when you are yes. both employed. Yes. 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 It's, it truly is. It will make it's you a humiliating yeah. experience. And it doesn't matter who you know. No. And honestly, so I'm the type of person that like, even if I know I don't have a chance, I'm going to just go ahead and try because black woman, right? The world isn't fair. So like, just give right. it a go. You never know what's going to happen. Right. And it's gotten me pretty far in life so far. I'm doing pretty <laughs> okay. Do you know what I mean? But my boyfriend and I went and looked at this apartment last week and it was so, and it wasn't even like in this fancy luxury building with like a gym or anything. It was just like a really lovely home with two bedrooms and two bathrooms and a dishwasher and a laundry in the basement. And I said, honey, this is too nice for us. We can't live here. And he was like, why? Because there's a dishwasher? And I was like, let's not even try to apply. It's just, it's too nice for us. And you know what? Thank God he pushed us to like actually apply and we're in the situation that we're in with the pandemic because we did get the apartment and I'm very yes! excited about it. But- oh my God, you're going to do your laundry in the bathroom. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'm going to have a, the dish. Girl, I've been fighting about dishes this for 12 years. Life changing. <laughs> I don't even know what we're going to fight about after this. Like, right? it's gonna, it's gonna can't fight incredible. about laundry or the dishes. Or the dishes. It's going to be great. But. I bring it up because you shouldn't feel that way. And why did I feel that way? Why did this city allow me to feel that I am less than in being a a small business owner who makes a pretty decent amount of money that I should like want a nice place to live? Right. It's insane. But that's what the city does to you. And you're absolutely right. It's like, and I think that was that might have been part of it is like I didn't want to go through the humiliation of getting declined. Do you know what I mean? Right. Or a- them asking right. for every little bit of info. Or, right. Or having to call my parents and being like, can you guys guarantor for this apartment, even though I'm 34 years old or whatever? Which like, yeah. even if, if that has to happen to you, it has to happen to you. Thank God it didn't. But like, you shouldn't go through that trying to find a place to live, a decent home. Right. So, yeah, yeah exactly. I totally understand and what you're saying. And one that is like functioning. And that's, yeah, we, right. so the apartment, so the day that, the day that I found out I won, I was scheduled to look at this apartment. Yes. It is like, I love it. It doesn't have a dishwasher, but it does. <laughs> it does have 
here's the things I'm excited about in this apartment. Talk, let's gush, gush, girl. It has a window by the kitchen. Yes, oh, in the yeah. middle of the apartment. It's a railroad. Yeah, but okay. There's a window huge in the middle. That's never. Yes, that's huge. Never. There's a fan over the stove. Yes. Huge. Yes. My place has that too, but that's a huge plus. That's why I'm so excited because I know how huge okay, that is. Okay, surprisingly, my old ass, kind of okay, but kind of shitty apartment has a fan over the stove. Okay, see? Okay. Shocking. All right, all right. Well, girl, I got Shocking. you. Shocking. We're all there. We're all there. We have an ice maker. What? In the freezer. Just like in 1997? Yeah, I'm not there yet. Just I'm very like my impressed. My mom was excited about when she was 36. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love how every like decade, life like you went from the tenement museum, like sort of pretty uh-huh. much living that same life, and <laughs> now like living in your mom's the now age of your mom. In the 90s. Do you know? That's all we could ask for is to yeah. live in the oh, 90s. Nice. It's like every every like. It's not like a Y2K kind of life. It's like, <laughs> like, it's like, I'm 92. I'm yes. living that life. I'm still in Greenpoint. I live just in a better condition tenement style I building. I see your. I like the molding. No, I love the molding. The molding is the same reason. My The current apartment that I'm leaving. That's what got me to buy it. To buy oh, it, yeah. I didn't buy. I was like, shit. Shit. Right. "Girl, you know I didn't buy shit." Like, ooh, he no. bought it. No, I was like, "Can you please live here? Please, please, please." <laughs> and I mean, okay. like, I know that we're like living in a district that has become notoriously expensive, but that doesn't mean it should be. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Oh, so here's another story. Not to go on about this for too long. Yes. Last last anecdote about my old apartment. I was talking to the guy that was the super and he told me he wasn't even really the super. He was just the person who would come and fix things. Right. And I don't, I don't know if he has any licenses to fix anything. Yeah. Yeah. But he he came and he was laughing and I was like, why are you laughing? And he said, I can't believe you still have this door. And it was my front door. And I always thought the front door was like hollow and kind of weird. And he goes, we found this door in the garbage and we just took it and used it. And it's like not supposed to be a front door. It's supposed to be like an interior door. Yeah, dude. I was in that situation and we like demanded a, a proper door. We can't have a fucking like hollow ass door that anybody can bust in. This is Brooklyn. Right. Yeah, that's so horrifying. Like never feeling safe. Like, yeah. you know, that's the price of it. And I mean, like I've said before, acknowledging that there are many, many people who feel way less safe. But yeah, the fact of the matter is until we have people in power that have these lived experiences, mm-hmm. like nothing's going to change. Yes. Okay. And so I want to talk more about you and your um, camp. Well, it's not a campaign anymore, but your platform, what you yeah. stand for yeah. and what you're going to be doing for all of us as community members. Um, what you had a couple of questions, I know, right? I forget. God damn it. So I know um, that you are for... Um, so oh, yeah, I guess I, I just wanted to know... We know a little bit about your platform, but I guess we just wanted to know, like, what are your kind of main stances that you feel right. like really so, represent you? You know, this whole this whole conversation is actually great for illustrating, like, why I've come to where I am. Like, you know, our district is 80% renters, and we've always been treated like the and ellipsis you know Mm -hmm. like we've always 
there are we do have a large number of small homeowners in this district but like the majority of people who live here are renters mm -hmm. so i really want to see you know us push through on those rent laws that didn't pass in the last round like good cause eviction and i also want to get to the heart of a lot of the other things that are making housing inequitable like in this neighbor in this neighborhood we have like a problem with something called warehousing which is like where you might have a bunch of empty apartments but instead or storefronts but instead of offering them at a rate that people can afford you just wait until you get that golden ticket i've heard of this loophole before i've heard of yeah. it and i never actually took the time to look into it but i knew that there's this loophole and i knew that that's why you look through new york city and like the west village and you see so many yes. empty storefronts thank you yes the yes. west village is a perfect example yes. of it and that's really what i'm most concerned about with covid in north brooklyn is because we're still like a sexy neighborhood and we still have high land value mm -hmm. um i think that as these small businesses go out there they won't necessarily be replaced mm -hmm. because i think I think that it will be too easy for landlords to sit on those properties. Mm -hmm. That's literally, yeah, uh, it's definitely what's happening with mm -hmm. the businesses yeah. that have closed here yeah, on Graham Ave. for sure. Yeah, yeah, Graham yeah. Ave is full of closed storefronts. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And then we have, um, so I'm very interested in that. I'm very interested in small business preservation and just generally making it, like, better for individuals who want to own businesses and, like, mm -hmm. try to try to just make it more equitable so that, um, you know, we can preserve the character of our community and totally. like these dynamic communities that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, transportation is something I'm very passionate about. And it's funny because when we started the campaign, we were in a such an incredibly different moment where we were in a very stable economic position as a mm -hmm. city. And it was like a moment where it was like, you know, one of the reasons I came to my, as I was coming to my decision to run, I was like, this is the moment we should be proposing like visionary ideas. And I don't see it happening. And our district should be a leader of that because we're full of, this is a district full of creative people and, mm -hmm. and cultural capital, right? Yes. So, and also we're one of the first neighborhoods that really experienced like rezoning and gentrification mm -hmm. in the city. So, like, we've learned a lot of bad lessons from what went wrong here that we need to be making right mm -hmm. for others. So, you know, with transportation, I really want to see us push towards a greener kind of solution. So, as a cyclist, I'm very concerned about um, traffic fatalities and just safe streets. So, I really want to see more... Well, we've got the open streets program now, which is great, but like more um, busways mm -hmm. and things like that, where we're taking cars selectively off of certain thoroughfares and putting them onto other ones mm -hmm. so that we actually streamline traffic and make it more efficient. Yes. Now, now what we, well, actually, you know, that there's still an opportunity for that because I think we've learned that the bus is really important through COVID. Mm -hmm. Um and, you know, the bus was really the only thing that we could really keep going. And it was became a lifeline for so many um, essential workers. Mm -hmm. So I think we really need to be, like, modernizing the way that we do buses here. Mm -hmm. We have a 
the reason why buses aren't a pleasure to ride in New York City is because of the traffic. A hundred percent. Yes. So what we need to do is just fix the traffic problem. There's a number of ways we can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, like incentivizing, um, taking public transit, but also de-incentivizing driving. So I think a part of that is like, you know, starting to tackle um, the congestion pricing that passed that is now just vanished. What's congestion um, pricing? So congestion pricing is very exciting. They do it in London and in a few other global cities, and it works really well. And basically, if you are taking a bridge into the center city on a car, Mm -hmm. on a car, car, (laughs) um, or in a truck or in some kind of, you know, more personal transit option, um, you pay a fine. Okay. Not a fine, but like, you know, it's like a toll. Yeah. And um, what it does is it encourages people then to, like, park their cars and take public transit in. Yes. That removes traffic from those streets so then the public transit can work better. Yes. Mm. Can I make um, a request, please? Sure. (laughs) More parking. Whether that means garages in Brooklyn. It's great that the city bikes are here, but they're taking up street parking Mm -hmm. all over the neighborhood. I know that you're... We're talking about getting people off the, the streets in terms of driving, but as somebody who's like a part-time driver. Well, one thing I'm curious about and to hear what people think about it is I think a residential parking permit program might be yes. a good Yes, option. honestly. Because I hear what you're saying about, not to say, make it about me, I hear what you're saying about traffic, but the nice thing about having a car in New York is it gives you freedom to leave the city, right? right? And especially, like, I've got two dogs, so we like to go right. upstate, what have you, which is why we have the car. And the, before we started doing home visits, honestly, I didn't use it besides, like, taking the dogs upstate right. and moving it a couple times a week. Moving it a couple times a week, girl. Too many people are moving into the neighborhood. Not enough right. car spots, parking spots. But I mean, that's right. the, that's my one uh, request. And that's <laughs> my one request, please. You know, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a car to go back and forth to Albany, mm. and I'm actually gonna park it in one of the garages that was built in one of the new buildings. Mm-hmm. And when I'm in the city, I'm not gonna use it except for like some certain special kinds of totally. trips. Because I think that yeah, I think. Street parking is part of part of the problem with our public space usage is that, you know, people are driving distances that they don't need to drive mm-hmm. in part because they have to move their car all the time because we have a, mm-hmm. a culture where we're saying like free parking is the norm if you move your car constantly. Yes. And that's not like actually not useful for anyone. If we had like residential parking permits and we had a, a number of limitations on Mm -hmm. it and then you had to pay for parking if you rode it to a different neighborhood then then the cost is like the same as taking public transit so then you're choosing like you know going if you need to do like a really big shop at like home depot or something right well then taking the car makes a lot of sense yeah yeah but like when i used to have a car and then i got rid of it because i gained like But, you know, it was like, I would, I would drive it everywhere just because it was like, well, I have to move it anyway. I did that today. I drove to Staples because I was like, it's 1230. The car's got to be moved by one to the other side of the street. So tomorrow I don't get a ticket because girl, they've been getting me every week for the past month. 
Right. And I'm like, I could not keep paying these fucking charging yes. tickets. Like, I got to be on top of it. But it means that now I got in the car and I drove someplace today. Because right. it, it's better than, you know, yeah. getting a ticket. I think with COVID, we've been seeing the really dynamic ways that we can use the street mm-hmm. as open space. And we can put retail out there. And we can put restaurants out there. And we can make things feel like, you know... Like Europe, basically, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. I um, love all the outdoor seating. It's yeah, nice. Yeah, me too. It's really nice. And also, it feels safer, right? Yes. Nobody wants to eat inside. I've been taking polls. So wait, the other thing I wanted to mention that I loved about your platform, and tell me if I'm wrong, is that you want to legalize sex work. Is that mm-hmm. correct? And yes. um, decriminalize all drugs. Right. I yes. love that. I yes. mean. I think these are really important. I think that they're so important. And the the one thing that I, I want to touch on from a personal experience is it is driving me fucking crazy seeing so many companies come out to make CBD oil. Everybody and their sister is a fucking CBD oil now. These beautiful dispensaries that basically look like you're going into an Apple store. And yeah. all of these brown and black people are still in jail or still have these things on their records or like aren't don't even have access to participate in making money from these things. Right. And no I feel like nobody is talking about these points and it's really like I'm so sorry but if one more fucking be- like white ass beauty girl comes up with a CBD mm-hmm. thing and says nothing about like the discrimination and and disproportionate like, like another reason the wellness oh, industry uh, is toxic. It just it just sorry, I had to have that little rant because it makes me so yeah. upset and I love yeah. that you are for decriminalizing drugs because I mean, it's just a, a nice blanket coverall statement about, I think, the greater problem that's at hand. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, you know, the whole history of the drug war has been really just a race war. Mm-hmm. I mean, race war. I sound like I'm like, oh, I'm like no, no, you're absolutely <laughs> right. Like, I mean, girl, but, look, black people know this, but you're absolutely yeah. right. Like it, the crack up. I mean, I'm sure that you know the stats, but. The, in the 90s, the majority of cocaine users were white, but the people that were targeted were all people of color in, in right. the cities, like, mm-hmm. for using crack. And it was painted as this picture of, you know... It's black. also still this accepted thing that, like, wealthy people do cocaine. Yes, exactly. Right. And it's fine. Which and- I don't care, but, like, then why... Drugs are drugs, right? So, exactly. Like- exactly. Yeah. yeah. I've I've gotten in fights with people before because, you know, I've I've been at, you know, like dinners out or parties or something someone will be like oh let's all do cocaine and I'll be like I don't do cocaine it's like part of like the whole um there's there's so much social so many social justice issues that are attached to doing Mm -hmm. cocaine like what happens in the countries where it's coming from Mm -hmm. and what happens to the people like you're saying who are incarcerated for selling it Mm -hmm. like there's just like the communities that like, are involved. It's a privilege thing to do. Yes. You know? And it's like, it, there's no way that you can get it that is, like, you can't get fair trade cocaine, okay? <laughs> like, it's not possible. <laughs> so, you know, like, if you're going to say that you're, like, all about, like, you know, global solutions and social justice, like, and anti-oppression, like, you can't, like, those two ideas, like, don't go together. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, it's, point. it's like, um, you know, the incarceration thing is, is a really, there's the people, I think one of the big, there's so many, there's so many ideas that 
folks don't drill down on deep enough to really understand what's going on. Like, like so many of the people who are in jail are not there because they're like violent offenders, dangerous to society. Mm-hmm. They're usually there for something stupid. And a lot of them are there just because they couldn't afford a lawyer. Yeah. And then, you know, we, we have, like, I was listening to NPR this morning. They're having a really good discussion on what it means to defund the police. And one of the things that they were saying is that, you know, the police actually don't solve most crimes that you take to them. Mm-mm. It's about imprisoning people yeah. nine times out of ten mm-hmm. that the police are quote unquote successful. That's how their success is. Their success is not necessarily ranked by like the the number of like rehabilitated people. Right. Also, right. The amount of people that yeah. like, got rehabilitated right. in jail and were put back right. on the streets and never offended again. Which is right. what it should exactly. be, right? Like if you right. want to actually do your it. job yes. correctly. Yes, exactly. Um Sorry you to know, cut you off. In a way, no, it's it's just like two of the things that people are most obsessed with are like the police and dieting. <laughs> and like they're two they're two industries that like overwhelmingly like don't result in long term positive change. You yeah. know what I mean? They're two they're two industries that are really about controlling like unruly bodies that are discriminated against yes. right the society um, that society not even society but like the powers at be deemed to be un unwanted right right yeah. right yeah exactly totally. i it, it was very weird for me to compare that with that but you know no like, no no i know exactly what like, you mean hopefully it made a little I hopefully it didn't sound like a total frou frou. No, dude, do <laughs> one of the things when we came into this conversation, I said, Alex, I want to ask the dumbest questions because people need to understand what's going on. So, like, I wanted yeah. to, I was like, let's we need to break this down to the most digestible way. So, yes. don't feel like that at all. Like, yes, when we spoke with Michelle the first time um, back in July or in June, and she said, you know, no offense to you guys, but like, do you even know the three branches of government? And I was, and we like, were like, Ugh. I was like, I don't know. One's uh, the fiscal, right? And she's like, <laughs> I don't know. But I joke about that because I don't mind making myself feel stupid if, right. if other people can learn, right? And it's well, not fiscal, and- it's legislative, judicial, exactly. and executive. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I love Michelle, you know, she's like, She's exactly like the kind of leadership that that makes me excited in the community, you know, yes. and and that's exactly it. Like there's so many, you know, when I won, folks were like, how did you win? You know, I mean, like this very small community of people who were like, there's no way you'll beat Joe Lentall. Um, but the reality is, is like I have a lot of friends that aren't in that Mm-hmm. you know yeah uh, they're getting fewer and fewer because my <laughs> life's becoming consumed with it but you know I have a lot of friends who are in the arts or who are in music or who you know are just you know just in any other random industry who they're not they're they're not living and breathing politics and you know they they care about how it impacts them but they're not necessarily like studying it, you yes. know? Yeah. So, yeah. so 
so when I was telling people that I was running, I remember so many people being like, oh, can I vote for you? Like, wow. oh, do I need to register to vote? Like, yeah. and you know, actually going around and like getting people to register who had never voted locally before. Yeah. Wow. And that that's like an important piece of it because these folks are supposed to represent us. Yes. And the us that they're representing is usually a minority of yes. people who, totally. you know, are are trading favors or whatever. And we should mention really quickly that Joe Lentil is the incumbent um, assembly person that um, Emily what beat that Emily yeah. beat and beat he him. was. Um, for over 40 years, right? He yeah, sat in that position. And, he was and then it was his dad before him before, and his exactly, grandfather, and his grandfather before, him. before him. And if you want to know more about this, we spoke about it with Michelle back in our vote episode. But our girl Emily upset a 40-year so incumbent. Huge. Because we voted she saw, for you, obviously. We've, we obviously <laughs> voted for you. But you saw what we know is that Thank there's you. more of us than there are of them. And like mm-hmm. I think the same, honestly, across the nation is there's more people like us that are young, but you don't have to be young. Just in, in our district, it helps if you're young. Yeah. Young and, and I don't know, empathetic and caring and intelligent. Even if you didn't go to college or whatever, intelligence isn't mm-hmm. measured by that, but are smart enough to know that the f- we're not going backwards in time, mm-hmm. right? Like we are going forward. And I think the scariest thing to a lot of people is that like the three of us are living in the future, right? Like we are living right. in a society where we have like, whole new genders right we have whole like we're in the future and that's scary to other people but like we can't go backwards we're already here right people are living in a place where it's very black and white and we are a rainbow assortment of fucking flyness (laughs) and like really dope people and um if we all just like realize that and know, knew that our voices mattered. Knew, honestly, right. like, knew that yeah. we could make a difference. It also gives me hope because, you know, the election that's happening next month is really scary. I at least feel like on a local level in our community, I feel very taken care of. I really do. And honestly. I think that that's going to be more important than ever. Yes. And I wish I could speak for, like, other areas of the country, but I don't know shit about other local <laughs> politics, really. Right. But, but I I'll, can speak for us. Yes, and I'll say that I, I said this on the last episode but I always voted upstate up until this mm-hmm. election because oh, you know, know I was a little we live in a blue dot well my parents live in a blue dot in a red yeah. uh, county and I was always like you know they need our vote more it doesn't matter the whole state turns blue whatever but that meant that I was missing out on things that matter to me I've been a New Yorker for 15 years I've lived here for 15 years like I don't know anything about what the fuck is going on upstate you know right. I don't know about what's happening in my neighborhood and that's why you need to vote in local elections. And that's why we all need to get up and just know what's going on in our communities and in our neighborhoods and make a difference. Because, yeah. I mean, we were saying it before, unfortunately fortunately and unfortunately, we are in a position where what happens local, uh, nationally doesn't necessarily, in our day-to-day lives, affect us, right? Like, right. I... I mean, a tiny thing is like, I'm not an immigrant. I don't have to worry about like my mm-hmm. visa being revoked or ICE coming to get me or anything right. along those lines. But I know immigrants in my neighborhood, right? And I care right. about them and I care to make sure that they're going to be taken care of. And I know you and I know that you're going to make sure that they're taken care of. And those are the things right. that matter. And those are the things that we can control. And in this time of having no control, let's try to control the things that we can. And make a difference. Yes. Yeah. And vote I for people who really can do that. That's a really beautiful way of saying it. Yeah. And, you know, I think also, I think we're kind of 
trained to think about federal level stuff and we've been trained to not think about local level Mm -hmm. and I I in my experience a lot of folks say exactly what you've been saying which is you know oh like when you were in your upstate mentality of like oh I have to like keep that that blue Mm -hmm. um but the reality is that we think that we're gaming this system of being like oh I'm gonna vote in this area but really they're gaming us because mm-hmm. we are stripping ourselves of resources and opportunities when we don't have um, representatives who have um, experienced the the kind of things that, that we're experiencing. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, and, and I think also it's important for leadership to be, like energized and dynamic and refreshed on occasion, you know, like, yes, like, because the reality is, and it was going back to the story about like getting this apartment, the moment that I became the democratic nominee, because I'm not running against anyone in the general, because that's how things work around here. I'm the only person on the, on the ballot. Mm -hmm. Um, All of a sudden, you know, people are like, oh, we're dealing with this person who has power. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it didn't matter, you know. Yeah. Nothing mattered. All the things that people were, like, worried about before, mm-hmm. you know, nobody was asking me those questions 24 hours later. Yeah. So I have to really remember that now I'm in a privileged position. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have things happen to me that don't happen to normal people now. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that the folks who are in those positions of power remember that they are visible as someone with power and Mm -hmm. that they need to be listening to the people who don't have their privilege. Yes. And I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, people get comfortable. We all the state positions at this point have no term limits. Mm -hmm. So then Mm -hmm. people are like, oh, I like this job and I like having power and I like the privileges and. Also, I got to say from the first couple months of, I'm not officially the assembly member yet, but of preparing, it's really a cool opportunity for someone who really cares about community. Mm-hmm. So you're like, oh, I like this job. I want to hold on to it. And then you like hoard the position and you're missing generations of leadership, you know, mm-hmm. generations of different experiences. Yes. And, and, like, and what you're saying is, I'm sorry to cut you off, but what you're saying is exactly why we are so divided right now because half of the mm-hmm. country is screaming black lives matter. And the other half of the country is still saying the N word because they're a hundred. <laughs> they live in yeah. a time where that was acceptable and we don't understand why we're not seeing eye to eye, but you're absolutely right. Is it's, it's general, it's passing it on. It's letting people, letting the culture grow, letting the culture expand and it can't expand if you're not expanding also. Right. And I yeah. think part of being a leader is, is saying like, who am I, who am I developing? Mm. Who am I bringing up? How am I making more leaders? Like every leader should be training more leaders, not to serve them in their interests and keep them, but to like build, build that, that kind of, that kind of courage that I had to go to therapy to get, you know, like we shouldn't have to go to a therapist to be told, like you have a voice you have power. You deserve not to be exploited. Mm-hmm. You know, that should be status quo. Yes. 
Yes. So see and know, do though, man. You see people doing things and you know that it's possible. And that's what you're doing, honestly, for all of us. For me, I know for Alex, mm-hmm. so I was crying this morning. I meant that. Like it's really cool. It's really an incredible thing to see somebody like that's why I stand AOC because she was like, Look, I don't wanna be here, but nobody else is doing something. Somebody's gotta do it, so I guess it's gonna be me. <laughs> yeah. And it's basically what you said too, it sounds like. You were like, Look, I'm here too, and I've got a voice, and why not me? And I absolutely adore that. I really do. Me too. It's awesome. I feel like you're actually representing our community, like, for real. Yes. Yes. And thank you. And, like, you really want to do it. Yes. And thank you for that, girl, because I don't. It's a lot. Yeah, That's I couldn't do you're it. Doing, right? We'll stick with our uh, we'll stick with vagina waxing. Here, vagina waxing, girl. Well, now I know where to go. You know, yeah. you got a coupon for life. You come in yeah. here whenever you want. That's Seriously. the power, right? That's the power of a. That's part woman. of like this new privilege you have. I will still pay. <laughs> I'll pay every penny. Yes. And tip well. Yes. <laughs> it's i didn't know them but i'm older now and it's just something or multiple things from your past that you used to do that you're just like what What the the fuck fuck? am i thinking i guess i have like a reverse fashion one when i was when i was younger and just came to the city i and i was working in the fancy jobs i would wear like really cool vintage heels all the time Mm mm-hmm and now I have all these foot problems. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like such an old lady. Like, you know, like the reason I was wearing these boots is because I like had to order ergonomic boots from like Wisconsin. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. Okay. So, I get it. I have a bunion. We both have, we both have bunions. Story right? of our I lives. Just, yes. I just wish I hadn't been so, you know, I would wear them. Remember, I was doing, like, walking tours and stuff. Oh, my God. In vintage like, heels. I was trying to do too much of, like, a look. Yes. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah I get and, it. And then you look at pictures and you're like, that was the look? Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, those dingy, shitty shoes? Like, why was I even like, wearing And it those? didn't even look right. Like, it, like <laughs> oh, my God. I saw this picture of me from, like, I went to, like, a concert and I had, I had on a dress, and then I had a t-shirt. Well, this is early 2000s, right? Yes. T-shirt over the dress with a belt. This was a moment. Yeah. I I remember this. This was very um, Olsen twins. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, Olsen twins, shaggy chic. They're at NYU looking homeless, and we wanted to be too. Right. Yes. And it's just like, you know, and I'm sure, like, I could come up with something better than that, but I really wish I had treated my feet a little more kindly. However, (laughs) yes, I'm ordering... I'm trying to still keep the shoes cute. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I do. I know. Now like, that you're going to be going to Albany, it's like, oh, my God. I think there's room for, like, there to be more fashion ergonomic yes. shoes. Yeah. Okay, so I have – I've got a secret I can tell you about for <gasps> a, a secret insole that's made my okay, five-inch Alaya platform boots my most comfortable shoes. I'm going to tell you, then you're going to it's see all of these Instagram ads, by the way. As soon as right. I say this, yeah, they're going to just start popping up. It. It's Vivian Liu. Vivian Liu makes these insoles, and they're four stilettos. And I don't know what it is, but you put them in, and it shifts the the um, weight from the front of your feet to, like, your back heels. 
So just feel, I can't explain it. They are incredible. And it's not cheap. It's like, I think 60 bucks for like each insole. But that's still, you know. When you're paying good money for shoes, and girl, I love a shoe. So when you're paying yeah. like three, four, eight hundred dollars for and shoes. And you want to be able to wear them. Yes, exactly. Honestly. Yes. Get, trust me on this one, girl. It's going to be I a lifesaver. I had some like, what were, I had some uh, like, um, Saint Laurent shoes. Yes. Or, Very uncomfortable. And I just, gave them, I just gave them away. Very uncomfortable. I would wear them and I would like a minute later. And I used to be able to really walk in heels. Yes. I was like, I could do it. And then yes. I would take them off even if it was the winter and walk <laughs> home in my stockings. Because, no. Like, like bring sneakers with you. No. What I is going love on that. with this person from you the know, I get it. It was sex in the city. It kind of ruined our whole generation of like, got to do the shoes. Got to, yeah. who wears sneakers? Nobody puts their sneakers in their bag. Meanwhile, like. Made oh, us think we could do those yeah, thank things. Thank God for Normcore, right? Please. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. Oh, speaking of sex in the city, Cynthia Nixon is, is on your team, right? Yes. Oh my God. I, I saw her it. one morning in her neighborhood looking fabulous in um, a pantsuit. Sounds so I used right. to work down where she lives. It was like 720. Yeah, because yeah. when I worked at Heyday, it was on um, Lafayette. Mm-hmm. And it was like 730 on a Saturday or something, like hating my life having to go to work that early. She was going to Albany. On a Saturday. Like, I, I, yes, I don't know where she was. she was going, but she looked amazing. She, and I was like, that just down. made my day. <laughs> made my day so much better. She is so awesome like i can't say enough good things about her you know she's very courageous she she like uses her privilege for good yes she um she is a real person mm-hmm. you know this it's not like a an act you know yeah. Shit, we, gotta she, get her on. we do we got to get her on next we've got to connect now totally <laughs> oh i bet she would come on too i'll ask her yes yeah, see if she you know has a couple of I mean, minutes. it's not like, I mean, she did call me once to check on me, and I felt like I was, like, the star of oh the world. Oh, my God, that's so funny. <laughs> like, it's not like I talk to her on the phone regularly right. or anything. Hey, but, girl. you know, she she's so cool. Like, the other day, she she um, messaged my team on Twitter, and she's like, hey, could you amplify this op-ed that I wrote? And she wrote about how much better the film industry is handling COVID than the school system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, why is that? Why are we willing to invest so much more money in yes. making television than we are in educating children in wow. this window of time that we have to educate children? Yes. You know? Yes. Wow. And, I love you know, that. Wow. And it's just like, cool. That's what she's doing. She's like on set of some fabulous like period piece about the turn of the 20th century and about like robber barons and stuff. And she's like, there's an equity here. I'm going to write about it and send yes. it to like the newspaper, you know? Yeah. I love that's, that. That's, oh, that's cool. If everybody was like that, then we would live in a different world. I know. I think I like to think that after this fuckery of a year, more people, I think that a lot more people are be. I only live in New York. I can't say a lot more. <laughs> I like to think that people are becoming more compassionate. I really like to think that, especially after the Black Lives Matter movement, just like seeing how every white person I'd ever met in my entire life reached out to me and was like, oh, white nice. supremacy is real. I'm so sorry. What can I do? <laughs> you know? And I mean, just that alone, I think it takes a lot to be like, oh, wait, I'm the asshole. So like just for yeah. people to like do that period, 
says a lot. I think we've been I coming, so. coming very far. I think we're and very we fortunate to live where we live. Yes. Yeah. And to be around a lot of like-minded people. Yeah. 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 So whenever we can all get together again, we have to come out, go out for drinks. I would love that. Yes. Yes. That would be like, so fun. It would be super fun. We can go to the restaurant. if Because now that you're going to be a big deal, I know you're going to need like, you know, your own private table in the back corner. You yeah. don't need people coming and bothering no you. Paparazzi. No paparazzi. Even <laughs> <laughs> That's the hilarious part. Well, and the other thing is that they, there's like a really weird perspective shift, right? Like, you know, the person that I defeated was a really big deal in Albany. Mm -hmm. Like in Albany, super, you know, and amongst the people who are very politically oriented here, people like knew who he was and liked him. And, you know, he, I didn't defeat like a, a, a bad jerk. person. Right. Right. I just defeated someone who was more centrist and I'm more yeah. left. They're just time to um, go. Yeah. Right. But like, the thing is, I think part of, there hasn't been a lot of grace with the transition of power here. Mm. And I think like, I think it's a really hard pill to swallow to realize that you thought everybody knew who you were and literally nobody did. Yeah. He probably you know? just opened his eyes and looked around the neighborhood and was like, wait, I don't know any of these people either. Yeah. Do you know, does he live in the neighborhood? Um, he does. I know he his has... little office is right here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he does live in the neighborhood. You have to. Yeah. But oh, okay. Has... I know some positions don't you like two... not have to live in the neighborhood. He has like several. He he actually owns several homes, which just made me jealous. Yes, yeah, I'm. Been... He's got There's a different. To do. He can go live in one of his other homes. Yeah. Well, and also like I don't know. I'm I'm kind of, like sometimes I get sad because like I. When I'm older, it's a dream for me to get to retire. Yeah. Or have one home. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what? Several? Yeah. Um, Joe, yeah. Joe will be okay. He's going to be fine. I just was thinking about that because it's like one of the core things is to always be introducing yourself and always be like welcoming people in and talking to the new people. Even if you're like, oh, I don't think those new. I think what's happened is around the turn of the millennium uh -huh. people were like people were like all oh, these young people are moving here because it's hip but they're gonna leave yeah but we didn't leave we made a home here we we built our own community here and you know and and it's been 20 years like there was time to get to know us and that was not taken it's such a pleasure to talk with anybody who's in charge honestly this is my first time really speaking with yeah. somebody who's going to be making policy and yeah. representing us crazy and it's like it's awesome but it's also so cool to be like oh my god she's like us yeah well i would love to come back and let you know how it's going later. oh my god yes absolutely. you know and and keep the lines of communication open like hold me accountable hey guys hope you loved that interview i know it was a long one but i think we really just needed to know all the ins and outs of her life because i mean her life is just like any of ours mm -hmm. especially living in new york it's kind of that story of like oh gosh i lived with a million roommates slept on my friend's floor had all these jobs at one time. None yes. of them paid enough. Yes. And she was just like, 
wait, I can do something about this. It's the normalcy <laughs> of being a New Yorker in this day and age that we try to pretend doesn't exist mm-hmm. and is quote unquote normal. And her story is saying, no, this isn't normal. We deserve better. Yeah. And I'm going to be the one to stand up for us. Foreshadowed. I love how she foreshadowed her story when she was talking about the Tenement Museum. Yeah. And she said, we deserve better. We don't want to stand up for this. She didn't say yeah. I. She didn't say I don't want to work. Totally. She said we. And like, and also, look, therapy works. Therapy. The therapist got her. Works, yes. To stand up for herself. Totally. And yes. to not accept, you know, the crumbs. low standards. Not accept low standards and to stand up for yourself and know that you are great and you have a voice and you deserve to be heard. And it's kind of cool as you listen to her life story, you just see, like, her confidence build up. Yes, yes, I love that, I too. I think that's something we can all really relate to. Yes, and it kind of goes hand in hand with the aging episode that we spoke about. Seriously. Just, like, the older you get and the more you realize who you are and you stand in your truth. And we can even tie it in with the JWB episode when she said, don't let mediocre white men tell you you can't yeah. do shit or be make you feel any less than yeah right now she's about to go to albany and tell all these mediocre white she men sure is about she, themselves yes and do all the things that i don't have the patience to do but she's yeah. gonna do for us yeah Can't... i really mean it when i say i'm so excited for her yes i'm excited for our neighborhood i'm just i and again i feel really good about that especially with the election that's coming up and Yes. You know, it can go one of two ways. And honestly, either way, I'm not super duper excited. Obviously, one I'm more excited about than the other. Yes. But I kind of feel like no matter what happens with that, I feel very well taken care of in my community. Yes. I feel like within my little couple of miles radius, we now have a friend who we know is in Albany fighting for us and fighting for the things that we believe in and that we care about. And we elected her there. Yeah. Right? We got her there. So... Even if we can't control the bullshit that's happening nationally, guys, within your communities, take control of your community. You live there. It's your home. You should have the people that live with you and that are supposedly working for you work for you, Mm -hmm. right? And don't take what's. I think the biggest changes can be made locally and in small ways. And I really, truly believe that. Yes, 100%. I think that we're all seeing that more and more. And let's go, New York. Let's fucking go, New York. So, if you guys are listening, obviously now you're hearing a really great single from our friend, Bentley Robles, friend of the pod. Yeah. He has an episode, a couple of episodes. Okay, all of his music is super fun and will just make you feel like there isn't a pandemic and you'll feel really good about life for a little bit. Yes, like take three minutes and listen to Cardiac. And we wanted to play it at the end of this episode because it has a great beat, it has a great feeling, it makes us feel fantastic. But also, Bentley wrote this about New York. He wrote this about having a great night out and about feeling the heartbeat of the city and being with your friends and the people who love you. And that's really, I think, what we're all just trying to get back to. Go download Bentley's single. You can get it on Spotify. It's called Cardiac. He's amazing. Check him out on Instagram at Bentley Robles. First, check out Emily Gallagher. Then check out Bentley. You can check out Emily Gallagher. You can check out her website, emilyforassembly.com. Check her out on Twitter. On Twitter, at M, <laughs> the number four, assembly. And that's her same handle for Instagram. M, number four, assembly. Check us out on Instagram, at True Beauty Brooklyn Podcast, or at True Beauty Brooklyn. Check out the website, 
TrueBeautyBrooklynPodcast.com. Yeah. If you live locally, come check us out on Graham Avenue. You can book an appointment at TrueBeautyBrooklyn.com. Don't you dare just show up here. Don't. We won't let you in. <laughs> we might wave from the window, but we definitely won't Yeah. I'll be like, hi, bye. Hey, guys. <laughs> And send us your listener letters. Send us your letters yes. for our sabs. We're getting ready to do our beauty school episode. Yeah, any beauty questions because she does hair and makeup. So yes, for everything. And then we do skin and waxing so we can cover everything. Exactly. Send us some of those questions. And even if you guys have any questions about the election, about what's going on politically, we have a beautiful friend who is an incredible editor at Vice. She's going to be coming on in a couple of weeks to talk to us about more political shit that Alex and I can't talk to you about because yeah. we just laugh and are big dummies but we know super <laughs> smart women and that's why we bring them on to share with you everything so yes. send us your letters truebeautybrooklynpodcast at gmail.com we can't wait to guys. hear from you can't wait to hear from you that's it that's it see you next time bye peace the fuck out Adentro, put your hands up the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.